It's a great time at New Hope right now. You know, today's the, the last day before the kids go back to school and, uh, and all the parents in the room said, woohoo. Is that right? Uh, for you kids, the only reason we're glad you're going back is because we're excited that you're learning. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're excited about. It has nothing to do with you not being at the house all day tearing it up. Um, but, uh, you know, we're getting into a fall semester now, even though it's the middle of summer. It is, it is the fall semester and a lot of things start happening here at New Hope in the fall. Uh, in fact, tonight, we, uh, we're start, we're, next week, we're starting our brand new serve teams. Our training is tonight. For those of you that are, that are serving in this church, there's so many of you. We're having training here at 4 o'clock tonight. We're going to have Kona ice here and making snow cones for you guys. And, you know, everybody loves shaved ice and sugar, right? So we, we figure everybody will be here tonight. And then, uh, and then after that, we got, uh, we're meeting with our Connect Group leaders tonight because Connect Group start back up this week. Woohoo! Uh, Joy and I are, spe- are especially happy about that. We, uh, we, we direct the Connect Group ministry here at the church, and we just love, we love our leaders in this church. Our Connect Group leaders are so wonderful. They sacrifice so much to, to uh, pour into the people in this church, and so we're so excited about that. So we're getting together tonight. We're going to have dinner and, and some training and some fellowship together. So uh, it's, it's a great time, and obviously the school starts tomorrow. So uh, there's a lot going on, and um, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I know some people are cramming in a last-minute vacation before, before school starts, so those of you that are here, you're, um, you're really blessed to be here today, I hope, and, and I know I am. So uh, as you know, we've been, we've been talking about rebuilding the wall in our church this year. Pastor Bowen shared a vision for that early in the year uh, regarding what Nehemiah did back when you know, the Babylonians took over it, Jerusalem. They destroyed the wall, and Nehemiah wanted to go back and rebuild the wall, and, and the, uh, the king let him go, and, he, and he, he rebuilt the wall. And We felt like there were some parallels from that story to our church that, that some of the walls of this church had, had received some damage. And uh, have taken some hits, and we wanted to take the year of 2017 to rebuild that wall. And we've been talking about uh, all kinds of things. And this quarter, we're talking about the wall of evangelism, and uh, and I'm going to continue with that today. But I'm going to take a little bit different angle on it because because uh, you know I, I believe for us evangelism can be something that is it's it's almost a scary word for us sometimes because we have our own picture of what we think evangelism is. It's it's going door to door witnessing, or it's it's leading somebody down the Romans road and explaining to them perfectly why they need Jesus and. And, uh, or it's for preachers or people like Roger, Pastor Roger, that's just gifted with it. When really it's, it's just an overflow of, of our, the life of Jesus in us flowing into the others. That's all it is. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Uh, in fact, I want to jump right in and share, share a verse, uh, kind of my text verse for the day. I've got a lot of verses I'm going to be sharing. But uh, this, this is the first one that I want to kind of springboard off of. It's in John 10, 10. And if you've been saved for a while, you've probably read this verse. You've probably clung on to this verse many times. In the, uh, the New King James, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. More abundantly. Uh, the, the NIV actually says, at, in the end of that verse, it says that they would have life to the full. That God's heart for us is that we would have fullness of life. Anybody want that? Uh, the, the New Living Translation says that we would have a satisfying life. Anybody here would like to have a satisfying life? Now, for all of us, that means something different to most of us probably, but we all want to be satisfied, right? And then in the Amplified, it takes it to the next level, which the Amplified always does. It kind of explains what it's explaining. And it even goes the next step to say that it would overflow out of us, that that's Jesus' heart for us, that, that he would give us that abundant life, that he would give us more abundance in our life, and it would overflow out of us into the lives of others. And so my, my, the title of my message today is called Made for More. We were made for more, church. Amen. God has designed for us to have more. Um, we are not defined by the world's parameters. We're designed to have more. And I, I just want to start by kind of asking you a question. Um, have you ever, has the hype of a product 
that you've purchased or been involved with ever not reached up to the actual product itself, where the hype was greater than the product, um, or, or what your expectations were that, that they were, they were, you were very underwhelmed when you actually received whatever that was. I'll give you one quick example. Uh, when I was, we were on a missions trip a few years back, went to, uh, to Lebanon to actually visit uh, Ben Johnson and, what, and his work that he's doing out there. And on the way back, we had a layover in Italy. And um, we were only there for like 14 hours, I think. And, but since we were in Italy, we said, well, let's go ahead and do some of the tourist stuff. You know? So we went and saw the Colosseum. And the Colosseum was beautiful and it was amazing. And um, we wanted to go into the Vatican, but it was on a Sunday and it was closed, so we couldn't. So uh, I, I remembered, I said, hey, Pisa's here in Italy. You know, the Leaning Tower, you know, the thing we heard about since we were a little kid. And, and uh, we should go to Pisa. And so we mapped it and looked, and it was like almost a four-hour drive. But we said, shoot, how often do you go to Italy? You know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. So let's go ahead and go. So we rented a car. We drove all the way to Pisa. We were so excited. And we got there into, into the city area there. And I saw this, this little tower that was leaning over. And I thought, oh, look, they built a replica <laughs> right here. And, you know, I, was, I kept looking around. I was thinking, well, right in Pisa, it's got to be around here somewhere. That's, you know, I'm just picturing something huge, the Empire State Building, Eiffel Tower, something gigantic. And uh, so we asked one of the locals there, he was like, uh, where's this leaning tower? And they're uh, you're standing right beside it, son. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I said, I, I got trees in my front yard taller than that. And uh, it was very, very underwhelming for me. And not till later did I realize that uh, it's actually the shortest tower in the world that's ever received world recognition. It's just because it's leaning. So um, if you've been there and loved it, I'm sorry. I just felt like it was very, very uh, disappointing to drive four hours and then four hours back to see this little thing that I felt a... Ford F-150 could have probably pushed it up and made it straight, you know? So, um, so but we've, we've all experienced things like that in life where the hype just didn't match up. And uh, some of us have experienced that in our daily life too, probably, where we thought, you know, you may be at a place in life where you think, man, I just didn't think I was going to be at this place in my life today. I, thought, I felt like there was going to be so much more for me in my life. You know, um, maybe you, you, know, you, you get up in the morning, you take a shower, you go to work, you come home, you have dinner, you watch a couple hours of TV, you surf Facebook for an hour and you go to bed. Next morning you get up and do the same thing over and over and over again. And you feel like, oh my goodness, when, when, when are things going to get better for me? You know, it's not supposed to be like this. This isn't, this isn't why I went to college. This isn't why I worked so hard in my earlier days to try to get to this place. And, and we can feel like, you know, we know what that verse says, that it says, you know, he has come that we have life and have it more abundantly. But for some of us, we might feel like we're living a mundane life. You know, that that verse isn't really manifesting in our life, but we're living more of a mundane life. Uh, for some of us, we might be feeling like we're living an overwhelmed life. Some of us are just overwhelmed just trying to get through that day to get to bed so we can go through another day just like it again. Uh, and, and, and even worse than that, some of us may feel like we're living the condemned life where we haven't really been able to, to live the life that God has called us to live, but we feel like we're not measuring up and we live in constant condemnation just because of the fact that we know what the right things to do are and we don't do them. And, uh, you know, a lot of you have heard me share my testimony and I won't share the whole thing today, but just a, a brief, brief snippet of it is that um, I lived the first 20 years of my life, 19, 20 years, living completely in condemnation. I grew up in a, in a good church, but uh, for whatever reason, I interpreted the teachings in my church that, that there was a list of rules that I had to live by. There was things I was supposed to do and there was things I wasn't supposed to do. And if I did the things I wasn't supposed to do, that God was going to be mad at me. And um, I lived in fear of God, which, which actually meant that I, I was a pretty good kid. I didn't do a whole lot of crazy shenanigans because I was afraid of God. And I didn't want to mess up too bad. And uh, in fact, just to tell you how afraid of him I was, I would go to bed every night. And before I would go to sleep, I would pray and ask God to show me any sins I might have committed that day so that I could ask forgiveness. Because I believed in my heart if I died in my sleep and there were sins I forgot to confess that I was going to go to hell. 
And it's a terrible way to live. And I just lived condemned all the time. And I finally got to the point in life where I said, God, if this, if this is what the Christian life is, I don't want it. You can have it. Because I, I feel terrible all the time. I feel like I never measure up. And I almost feel like God said at that point, good, I'm, fine. I'm glad you finally realized that. Now we can get down to business. And I can really show you how much I love you. And it's not about how much you do for me. And uh, he challenged me to read through my Bible. And I read my whole Bible through in about three months. And it changed my, my whole life. I, 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 I had an experience with Jesus that I hadn't had at all in the first 20 years that changed my life forever that I've springboarded off of for the rest of my life. And, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And it's, it's brought me to where I am today. But I know that that's God's heart for us, that we would not live the, the mundane or the overwhelmed or the condemned life, but that we would live life to the full and an abundant life. Um, and I think it's really neat in this verse is that uh, there's, um, there's three things that he says the devil wants to do to us. It's, he says he wants to steal from us, he wants to kill us, and ultimately he wants to destroy us. And Jesus, when he says this, he says the three things, the opposite of that, that he wants to do for us. So the enemy wants to steal from you, Jesus wants to give to you. The enemy wants to take, Jesus wants to give. And then he says the enemy wants to kill you. He wants to bring death into your life. He wants to bring death to all your dreams, everything in your life that you want. He wants to bring death. And Jesus is coming to give you life, the opposite of death. And then, then he says the enemy wants to ultimately destroy you. He wants to tear down everything in your life and destroy you, ultimately sending you to hell is what the enemy wants. And what Jesus is saying, not only do I want to not take from you and not kill you, I want to, I want to give to you and I want to give you life, but I want to give it to you abundantly. I want you to have abundant life. If you look at it like a building, the enemy is wanting to tear you down to the ground till you're nothing but rubble. And Jesus is wanting to build you up and make you like a skyscraper that stands tall and bright in the skyline. That's his heart for each one of us that he wants to do in each one of us. And uh, I want to share a quick verse with you to show you um, exactly what he wants for us. Uh, in Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. It says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. So Paul is saying here that the law was brought, God brought the law not, to, not so that we would sin, but so that we would see our sin. And he's saying he brought in the law so that our trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when I look at this verse, okay, and, and I'm a pretty simple person. When I read the Bible, I kind of take it at face value. Uh, I know there's times we have to look at stuff contextually, but something like this, I believe that we could take this at face value. Jesus is saying, hey, I've come to give you life and not only give you life, but give you abundant life, give you more to where you can live fulfilled and satisfied and, and full of peace and joy and freedom and love. And so when I see that and I say, okay, well, if, I, if that's not happening in my life, then something's wrong, okay? So the first question I would ask is, does God lie? Is this verse just not true? So does God lie? No, of course he doesn't. The Bible says he is not man that he should lie. So we know he tells the truth in everything he says. So he's not lying to us. So then I think, okay, well, maybe this verse doesn't apply to me. Maybe it's, maybe it's just for, you know, the Romans. Maybe just Roman people were allowed to have abundant life. Um, is there any chance that this verse is just for a select few? No, of course not. This verse is for all of us. The word of God was given for all of us that we would have it to live by thousands of years after it was written. It's for me today. It's just as personable for me today as it was for the people that it was written to way back in the day. So I know it's, I know it's true and I know it's for me. So if I'm not living it, that's saying, okay, well then I'm missing something. If I'm not, if I'm not living it, I'm missing something. So I read this verse about grace increasing all the more because that, that, that's God's heart for us. So I think, okay, well maybe we're looking over one of the most important parts of this verse is that when we think, okay, he wants to give me more, most of us probably thought right away, 
yeah, he wants to give me more. He wants to bless me. You know, he wants to pour out his blessings in my life. And I don't know where your mind might've went there, but most of us probably skipped right over the idea of salvation, that he came to give us more life through giving us the grace so that we would not be dwelling in our sin, but that we would be saved. And I think for so many of us, we've been saved for so long. It's so easy to just overlook the fact that we have this miracle that has happened to us that lives in us and we live in every day of our life after the moment we got saved is that we are free from sin, death, hell, and the grave. And we have that to rejoice in every single day of our life. And if we will focus on that and not forget what he did for us, first of all, that's the, that's the catapult, that's the, that's the launching pad for us to know that we have more. Because no matter what happens to me today, no matter, it doesn't matter, you could list anything you want that could happen to me in this world, none of it can take away what God has already given to me, which is my salvation. That when, when that day comes, when I meet him face to face, he's gonna say, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant, because I've lived my life for him and because of what he's done for me. And we can stand on that and know that. And we cannot forget and we cannot overlook or just kind of have a ho-hum attitude about the fact that we are saved. If you know Jesus today, you are saved and it is something to be excited about. And I can tell you guys, I pray almost every day. I try to remember every day to thank Jesus that he saved my soul. Every day. I don't ever want it to become old and mundane in me that it's just, eh, yeah, I'm saved. Of course, I'm a Christian to where I just don't think about it much anymore. You know, when we first got saved, if you can remember when you first got saved, it was such a great time where God was probably just revealing himself to you, pouring himself into you. And you were just, you know, every time you prayed, the answer of the prayer was answered. And you were just so excited about loving Jesus and knowing Jesus. And you were growing in leaps and bounds. You know, I, I kind of compare it sometimes to like when you first buy a new brand new car. You know, you buy a car and it's so exciting. It's got the new car smell and it's perfectly clean and everything works in it. And there's no stains in the carpet. There's no scratches on the outside. But you know, after a couple months and a year, you start noticing scratches and you know, the kids rammed their bike up against your door and put a long scratch in the side and gum fell out of their mouth while they were sitting in it and smushed it into the carpet and the upholstery in your car. Uh, If you can't tell, I have kids that can destroy stuff. Um, And the new smell's gone. And, uh, and the car payments are coming in. You have to make that car payment every month. And all of a sudden, it's not as big a deal anymore. You know, all of a sudden, it can almost become a burden to you. The fact that you got this, this car, that you have a car payment. And, and we can almost approach our faith that way. Like it's exciting and fresh and new at first. But then we just kind of take it for granted that we have it. You know, if we're not careful, we can easily take it for granted that we're saved. And we cannot look past that. So, so for me, when I'm looking at this verse, I say, okay, it's, it's truth. It's for me. But I have to remember that the, the more life that he's talking about first and foremost is the fact that I am saved and that the cross of Jesus did a mighty work in my life and I can rejoice in that every day. And then, then after that, I would say, okay, I, I, do, I, I receive that. I wanna walk in that, but I, I still feel like there's more to it when I read that verse. And I think, okay, I think to get, that, to get that abundant life, that satisfying life that he's talking about here, I feel like there's something, maybe there's something we have to tap into. Maybe there's something that we have to do. Maybe there's an action on our part to actually receive this more abundant life that this verse is talking about. And I know theologically that may go against some of what we, what we want to stand for. We don't, we don't want to get into works. You know, I already told you, I, I lived the first 20 years of my life in works and I'll never go back to that. But it doesn't change the fact that just because we're saved by grace doesn't change the fact that we don't have things to do. You know, there's a stream of living water flowing, but if we don't tap into it, it's not doing us any good. We got to tap into that stream. So it requires work on our part to be able to tap into it. So let me read a verse to you that kind of exemplifies that. It's in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put 
and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So maybe, maybe getting more in our life, more abundance is about us trusting him more. Maybe it's about our faith. Maybe it's about us activating our faith by, by stepping out and trusting God. When you read this verse, if you don't know the heart of God, you can read this verse and think, man, Jesus was really, really bad at math. You know, all these guys are giving a bunch of money. You know, you need money to make the temple work. It, it took money uh, just like it does in church. You have to have money to make, keep the lights on and the air conditioning running and the seats going and all those things. And so you think, you know, how could this woman that gave a fraction of a penny be given more than these other guys? And it's because Jesus is saying, because she is giving in a way where she's trusting me. She's saying, you know what? I'm not confined by the world's parameters because of what he did for me and who he is. I'm not confined by that. I can actually trust him in a way that doesn't make any sense in the world's eyes. I can trust him in a way that people will look at me and go, man, you're crazy. But I can say, well, my my faith and my trust is not in these two small coins. So I can give them to him. You know, if we're given to God, whether let's, let's use money as an example, because that's what he's talking about here. If we're giving because we're trying to make ourselves feel better, or we're trying to fulfill a quota, or we're trying to, uh, to, to show God how good we are and how much we can give or how much we love him, then we're missing the point because he wants us to give because we trust him. He's saying, I want you to give it to me. Not because he doesn't need it. God doesn't need our money. He's, he's wanting it for us because he knows that as we will step out, that it'll activate our faith and cause us to trust him in ways we didn't trust him before. And so to have that more abundant life, it's gonna require some faith on our part to be able to tap in to that more life. There's action that we have to take. I think, I think sometimes we, we approach our faith almost like, a, like Jesus is our winning lottery ticket. You know, like when we get saved, then we, we, we take verses and we say, okay, God's supposed to do all this for me because now I'm a, I'm a Christian. And so I'm just gonna sit back and he's gonna make it all happen for me. Kind of like if we won the lottery, you know, we think, oh, if we could win the lottery, uh, you know, all my problems would be solved because I'd have all this money in my checking account, Uh, which, you know, ironically, statistics show that people that win the lottery are usually more miserable than they were before. But that does not prove my point. So don't don't remember that I said that. Um, So but but that's kind of how we approach our faith. Like, okay, I'm supposed to have more life like Jesus promised me here. You're going to have more life. So let's have it. Jesus, go ahead and bring it to me. You know, lay it out in front of me here so I can have it. When in actuality, he's saying, well, the, the more that I'm going to give you is going to come as you step out, as you trust me, as you activate it, and as you tap in to that stream of living water that I have. So I want to I give you three areas that I believe we were made for more today. And I'm going to go through them quickly. And obviously, there's a lot more than three areas, but these are three pertinent ones that I felt like the Lord put on my heart that I want to share with you guys today that I believe we were made for more that he wants us to have. And the first one is more peace and joy. Anybody in here want more peace and joy in your life? Amen. I know some of you are probably looking at me saying, do you really think it's possible to live in total peace and joy every day? And my answer to that is wholeheartedly yes. But I also believe that there is an action on our part that's required. I believe that we have to hunger for it. I believe that we have to go get it. We have to want it. Uh, Let me read a verse to you in Philippians 4. Uh, this is Paul speaking in four, chapter four, verses four to nine. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Now we know, you know, Pastor Bowen tells us that if he says something twice, that he's really wanting to get our attention. So he says it twice there in one line. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. There's, a, there's an action there that's required of us. He says, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So peace is absolutely our right. It's absolutely our right to have it, but it it requires something of us. You guys, we can actually train, according to this, we can train our mind to think about things that are noble, pure, praiseworthy, all these great things that God wants for us to think about. We can train our mind. That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, you you can have all this, but you have to put it into practice. Like we, we can quote the verse and say, oh yeah, you know, God wants us to think on these things. So we just ask God to, to like supernaturally make us think about things that will bring peace in our life. And, and I believe God does that sometimes. I believe for the material family today, I, there's a supernatural grace that God's going to give them and is giving them. It's going to give them peace in the midst of the situation that you and I cannot understand unless you've gone through something like that. But for the daily day in and day out life that we live, if we want to walk in peace, there is, we have to put it into practice. We cannot let our mind just run wild and and think on things that drive us crazy and stir us up and stress us out and cause us to freak out and just think that that we can just ask God to just take it all away and he's going to take it away. I, I can tell you for me, I don't believe that peace is necessarily the absence of turmoil all the time. Peace is having joy and satisfaction and, and a peaceful heart in the midst of turmoil. You know, Jesus was asleep in the boat while the waves were rocking. He was at peace, even though there was turmoil happening. So I don't, I can tell you guys, I don't really spend a whole lot of time asking for God to, to fix my situations anymore. I just ask him to give me perspective, to help me be at peace in the midst of these situations. Now, yeah, sometimes there's situations I ask for him to fix it depending on the situation. But most of the time I'm saying, God, I just, I'm just trusting you in the midst of this. I'm trusting you and, I, and, and I'm asking God to give me perspective that will help me to walk and live in that peace. Because that, that I believe is what gives us that more in our life. That, that abundant life is to be able to live at peace. Because I mean, pastor said it today, like, you know, Jesus never promised us that everything's gonna be smooth. Everything's just gonna go perfect for us. But he promises he's gonna go with us when we go through stuff, when we are his children. And, uh, you know, the, the verse I, I always think about when I think about having perspective in the midst of turmoil is from Acts 5, you know, when the disciples were, were beaten in the Sanhedrin, they were flogged because they were preaching about Jesus and they told him to stop and they were beaten real bad. And it, the Bible says that after they walked out of the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. That blows my mind that they were rejoicing after they just got a royal beatdown. I complain if my cell phone battery is dying too quickly and they're rejoicing over getting beaten the way they did. That's perspective, guys. That is how you get peace in your life is they're training their mind. They're not thinking about how bad their back hurts. They're not thinking about how they've been mistreated and they just saw somebody healed and they're getting beat for it. They're thinking about, we were considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. Hey, it's a good day, guys. Today's a great day because we were worthy of it. So we were designed to have peace and we should be the most peaceful and joyful people on the earth. 
The church should. We should have more peace and joy that people would want to come to us and want to know what, where in the world we're getting this peace in our life. Your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, your friends, that they would want to know. That's, that's evangelism right there. When people see the peace of God in your life, that's evangelism. When they come to you and say, okay, I want to know what you have. Because the opposite's true too. When they see Christians are just as, struggle just as badly and, and are stressed out and, and overwhelmed and, and anxious and having just as hard a time as they are, they think, well, why do I want to get, why do I want to be a Christian? You, you guys aren't any better than us. But what, what, they, what draws them to the Lord is when they see, wow, look how they're handling that situation. Look how they're walking through that with peace and joy, despite what they're going through. That's evangelism. That draws people to Jesus when we do that. And we have it in us to be able to do that if we'll trust God. Uh, the next one, the next thing that I believe God wants us to have more of is freedom. Now I can talk about freedom for a week, but I'm not going to. I'm, I'm gonna talk about it for a few minutes. Uh, we were created to be free, amen? We were created for freedom. God designed that we would be free. And I know some of you are saying, well, we live in the United States, we are free. And I'm, but I'm not talking about that kind of freedom. Freedom has nothing to do with geography. There are people living in Cuba and China and uh, all over the place in, in, in less free governmental countries that are much freer than us. Christians that are free because they know it's not about geography. It's about what, what God has done in their heart. And we were designed for freedom. In fact, you know, the first thing that, that God really said to Adam that we documented in the word is he says, you are free. He, was, he said, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted him to be free. And then what happened was our sin is what brought, took, got rid of the freedom, brought bondage into the world. And I believe with all my heart that, that, that it, when that sin, was, that sin was committed, the wheels were already in motion for Jesus to come and bring that freedom back to us. He designed us to be free. And uh, in fact, we even see God's heart for freedom in the Old Testament, in, uh, in Exodus. You know, if you've read the book of Exodus, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Uh, of how God used Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. They, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And God had heard their cries and their suffering. And he said, I'm gonna deliver my, my people. These were his chosen people. And uh, in fact, the, the book of Exodus is really kind of a, uh, it parallels with the saving, saving work that Jesus did for us as well. It's, a, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an analogy of that. So, so we know that the, the Israelites were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were being treated very harshly forced to, to make bricks and build buildings. And, and so God sent Moses to uh, Pharaoh to tell them to let his people go. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he said, hey, my God, the God of our people has, has told, sent me to you to tell you to let his people go. We wanna go out in the wilderness and we wanna worship him. And Pharaoh said, who is your God? I don't know your God. I don't care who your God is. You're not going anywhere. In fact, the reason they wanna go is because they're lazy. So you know what? I still want them to build the same amount of bricks every day, but I'm not gonna provide the straw for them. They gotta get their own straw. And so the, the people, the children of Israel heard this and they obviously came back to Moses and said, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? You're making it worse. You made us, they said, well, you made us a stench in Pharaoh's nostrils. And now we're having to do all, even more work. And, uh, and Pharaoh goes back to God because, I mean, I'm sorry, Moses goes back to God because the Israelites are upset with him because of what he did. And he's basically saying, God, I did exactly what you told me and things are getting worse. Now, how many of you know that sometimes you can do exactly what God is telling you to do and go exactly the way he's leading you to go and things can still get worse in your life for a season? I know for some of you that's rocking you right now because it doesn't make sense, but it's very clear right here in the word of God. Moses did exactly 
what God told him to do. He's, he gave him very specific instructions about what to say to Pharaoh and how to talk to him. And the situation actually got worse. And I know some of, some of us, we go through seasons in our life where we do the same thing. We're like, God, I'm doing everything I know to do for you. I feel like I'm doing things the way you told me to do them. You told me to do this and this. You told me to quit my job or you told me to confront my boss or you told me to confront this or do this or whatever. And I did exactly what you said to do and it's got worse. And we start to doubt God and think, oh, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe God's not, maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe his promises aren't true. But we can know, I can actually take refuge in this verse knowing that, you know what, just because things got worse doesn't mean God's not working. Because his promises are yes and amen. His promises will always come to pass every time. I've been in plenty of situations in my life where I felt like I did exactly what God told me to do and the situation got worse for a while. But praise God, it always, always, always comes around. Because if we do, if we're walking in, in his steps where he wants us to go, he's always going to come through for us. He's always going to, to take care of the situation the way that he's promised us he's going to take care of it. So Moses goes back to, or, um, goes back to God and says, God, what's going on? And this is where God gives them the four promises that, that Jewish people even today still talk about it. They call it the four promises of God. Um, and and they, they, talk, they, they go over it and they reminisce over it every time they take Passover meals, even to this day. And it's in Exodus 6, verses 6 to 8. It says, uh, this, is, this is God telling Moses what to say. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So just in case he was wondering after all that, who was talking to him, he said, I am the Lord. So he made four promises to him in that, in that passage. The first one is that he promised him to bring him out of Egypt. He said, I promise you, I'm going to bring you guys out of Egypt. The second promise is that I'm going to free you from their slavery. And the third one was that he was going to redeem them. And the fourth one was that he was going to make them his people. Okay, those are the four promises God gives in this passage. Now, the interesting thing is, if, if you look at the first two, they actually look like they're the same thing. He says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and I'm going to free you from slavery. Seems like the same thing, right? But see, this, th- these four promises actually uh, correlate to, to what he's done for each one of us. And, and when he says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, that... That's basically what he's saying is I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring salvation. So when we get saved, he actually brings us out of our sin and he saves us. But then he's not done with us then. Because then he says, then I'm going to uh, bring you out of slavery. What what he's saying here, what I've heard people say in the past is that God had to get the people out of Egypt. Then he had to get Egypt out of the people. Because they could still act like slaves even though they weren't slaves anymore. They were free, but that didn't necessarily mean they were going to live like free people. So what God is saying here is not only am I going to bring you out, now I'm going to set you free because that's God's heart for us. That not only when we get saved, that's not the end, right? And and when we get saved, we're not necessarily set free from everything. We don't, it doesn't manifest in our life necessarily in day one when you come to Jesus. But, but that's his heart for us is that when we get saved, when we give our life to him, that he says, okay, now I'm going to set you free. And then he says, the third thing he's going to do is he's going to redeem them, which means he's going to use them. I'm going to put you to work. I'm going to make you effective for my kingdom and for my glory and for your good. And I'm going to make you my people, which is what he's done for each and every one of us. So his heart for us is that we would be free after he saves us, after he brings us out of that. He's going to, he's going to make us free. And we know, we know the story in Exodus. It's exactly what he did. 
exactly what he did. The situation got worse. It, it, it kept getting worse actually for a while. And then, but then when God came through, it was glorious. He brought him out, set him free, redeemed him and made him the, his people. And it was a beautiful thing. And uh, it, I think it's funny because, you know, the, the Israelites were so excited when Moses told them uh, the, the four promises that God had for them in the next verse. I'm actually being facetious here because they were not excited. In Exodus 6, 9, it says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So they, did, they couldn't even hear the promise of God because they were so discouraged because of what, what had been happening. It had been getting worse. And so they got discouraged and then they couldn't even hear the promise of God. Has that ever happened in your life? Where you've been so discouraged that you don't even want to hear the promises of God because you just don't, don't really believe them? Like you've had your hopes up, but you felt like God let you down or you felt like it didn't work out the way you, were, you thought it should. And so you're so discouraged, you can't even hear the promises of God. And I want to tell you today that, that if you're discouraged and you've seen, you feel like you've done what you can do and things have gotten worse, I'm, just, I'm telling you, I just, I'm going to implore you today and exhort you and encourage you to just wait patiently for him. Because his promises always, always, always come to pass. Always. Every time in our life. He wants a, there's times of waiting. Nobody likes to wait. I don't know anybody that likes to wait at a red light or wait for somebody, for their wife to get ready while they're down in the car. I don't know anybody likes to wait on anything. That's not something that we really love doing. You know, we don't like to wait. And in fact, I think sometimes when we're waiting, we have this attitude of kind of waiting with our arms crossed. You know, like if I stand here and I'm, and I'm like this, is that, a, is that a pleasant waiting? No, I look like I'm annoyed, you know, like, come on now. If, if, my, if I tell my kids to wait and they look at me like this, they're either getting a whooping or getting their phone taken away, you know? But this is how we wait on God sometimes. Like, okay, God, come on, you told me this, I'm waiting, come on. And we have that attitude of like, uh, this is how I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna kind of have that wait and see. Like, I'm not gonna believe your promises till I see it happen. That's not God's heart for us to wait like this. You know how we're supposed to wait? Like this. This is how we wait on God. We worship him. We come to him and we say, God, I don't, try, I don't understand this situation. It makes no sense to me. I don't, I'm not doing anything that I wouldn't normally do, but things just don't seem to go my way or things just seem to be getting worse and I'm really discouraged, but this is how I'm gonna wait. I'm just gonna worship you. I'm gonna worship you right through it. I'm gonna worship you because when I come through on the other side, I don't wanna have any regrets. I don't wanna have any, anything that's holding me back. I wanna be able to say, I trusted God all the way through it, no matter what he said. No matter what, what, what happened or what has been done to me or in my life, I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna wait patiently for him. And I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna worship because I know that his promises are always gonna to come to pass for me. Can anybody give God praise for that today? Amen. He has provided freedom for us all, but it's our responsibility to grab it. We have to exercise our faith to get it. Let me move on to the last one quickly and I'll wrap this up. The third thing that I think he wants for us is more love. And, I, and there's two parts to, to that. I, I believe he wants us to receive more of his love. And I believe that he wants us to give more of his love. If we could know the unmatched love of our father, it, it will change our life forever. If we could have a greater revelation, I'm always asking God for a greater revelation of his love for me. Because that's where it's at. You know, um, uh, I've, I've heard it said many times that the problem with most of us as Christians is not about how much we love God because we love God. I, I, if you're a Christian, you, you have to have a love for God if you're going to give your life to Jesus, right? We all love him. The problem is, is that we're, we're working so hard to show him how much we love him um, and, and not taking as much time to just receive his love. The problem isn't that we don't love God. It's the problem is that we don't know how much he loves us. 
That's the problem. That, that's what leads us in so many, down so many errant paths is not understanding his love for us and not living in that love for us. You, I've heard people compare the, the apostles, John and Peter, uh, many times, you know, Peter was, he was real boisterous. You know, you know him from the gospels and, and from acts that he was always, you know, he was very much in your face. He was type A and uh, his mouth got him in trouble some, but he was always bragging about how much he loved Jesus. He was like, Jesus, I love you. And, and uh, wanting everybody to know how much he loved Jesus. And he wanted to be right by his side. And, and uh, when Jesus was captured and, and taken to be crucified, we know what happened. You know, he, he ran and uh, he got confronted by a, a little girl actually caused him to call curses down on himself because he was so afraid of a little girl because she was saying that he was with Jesus. And then we, and we know we got restored and, and you know, he, he obviously got, was filled with the spirit of God and he preached the first Christian sermon ever and 3,000 people were saved and it's a wonderful thing how he, how he was restored. But we see before that, that it was about him trying to show God how much he loved him. And then we look at John and if you read through the gospel of John, you see him he constantly refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And I know for me, I've, I, I, there've been times I read that and thought, man, he. That guy's arrogant, you know? He just thinks he's so beloved by God, you know? And, and uh, really it seemed to, seemed to have an understanding of how much God loved him. Well, it's interesting then because, you know, when the crucifixion happened, he was known to be the only disciple that did not abandon Jesus. He stuck right there by his side. And it was because I believe that he knew how much God loved him. He wasn't trying to impress God with how much he loved God, but he understood that love that God had for him. And if we can understand that love, it will absolutely empower our lives. Let me read real quick in Romans 8. Verses 39 to 35, one of the best chapters in all of the Bible. This is Paul speaking. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So can anything separate us from God's love? No, nothing can separate us. But you know, we don't always live that way. We don't always live like we really believe that nothing separates us from his love. We, we kind of have... Um, uh, we have this attitude sometimes of where we can feel like if we're doing good, we feel like we can really come to God. But if we're not, eh, we're, we're not sure, you know, or, or maybe you, you, you just try to eke through the week to get to church so you can feel like you get refilled and feel like you can make it through another week. And, and, and I get that because we all are there sometimes. But if something happens between you and God, it's not because he's pulling his love away from you. It's not because you're separated from the love that God has for you. There's nothing that can separate us from that love. Absolutely nothing. And if we can get a hold of that and understand that love and let it flow in us, it will absolutely cause us to live life differently. It'll cause us to understand, to live that abundant life, to be able to, to, to live a satisfying life. Because when we know that love, there's nothing that, can, there's nothing that can harm us. There's nothing that anybody, anything can do to us when we can walk in that love that God has for us. Amen. And I would say that, that when we, when we understand that love, that's when we can actually give it out. That's where the evangelism comes in. That's where we, uh, that's how we love others. That's how we share Jesus with others. It has to be from the overflow that, that the Amplified Bible in John 10, 10 is talking about the overflow that comes through us into the lives of others. We will affect the lives of people 
around us that God will put in contact with us if we can understand that love, if we can let that love dwell in us and we can let it percolate in us and grow in us. And I would challenge you today, you know, if that's something you don't feel necessarily, you don't necessarily feel like you have a great revelation of God's love for you beyond his saving love, his saving grace. It is so much more than that. And I would encourage you when we, when we come to the altar, when we pray here in a minute, that, uh, that if that's something you're dealing with, just to be honest with God. The best thing we can do is to be honest with him and say, God, I don't feel that. I don't feel that overwhelming, overpowering love that, that the apostle John talked about that caused him to not care if he was killed for being associated with you. I don't feel that all the time and I wanna feel it. I wanna have your heart because when we have God's heart, it will flow into others. You know, I ask God all the time, you know, we know God's heart is for the lost. We know that. The word of God is very clear about it. He talk, Jesus talks in parables. He talked about how, you know, he would leave the 99 to go get the one. You know, he'd leave the 99 sheep to get the one that's lost. He'd get, leave the 99 coins to get the one that's lost. That's God's heart is for the lost because those are his children. And it devastates him to know that there's thousands of people every day that are dying away from God that have never known him. You know, as a father, it's so hard for me to even fathom uh, to think that one of my children would be lost apart from me forever. I can't even, I can't even wrap my mind around it. In fact, uh, when, when Noah, Noah was up here, actually, he's, he was in the, the, the switch today. He's actually going into youth. I can't believe my baby's in youth, but I have no kids that are in elementary school anymore. So, uh, you know, praise God, I guess. We're getting old, right? Um, I have three kids in youth now. That's crazy. But, uh, you know, when he was just a little guy, he was three or four, we went to one of Taylor's soccer games. And after the game, uh, we were just standing around chatting. And all of a sudden we looked around and Noah was gone. And it was a big area with lots of soccer fields together. And I could see 200 yards all the way around and he was nowhere. It was like a hole opened up in the earth and swallowed him. And uh, I asked Joy real quick. I said, hey, do you know where Noah is? She said, no, I thought he was with you. And as you can imagine, the panic immediately sets in. I mean, the blood leaves everywhere. And at that moment, nothing else matters except finding my son, nothing. I didn't care about what kind of house I had. I didn't care about my cars. I didn't care about my job. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about getting dinner. I didn't care about, there was nothing that mattered. The whole world stopped until I found that son. And uh, you know, the whole ordeal lasted, I don't know, five, seven minutes. He ended up, it turns out he walked out to one of the parking lots with a guy that he thought was me. And uh, the guy didn't even notice he was with him. And when he got out to the parking lot, you know, he said, you're not mine. And so he turned around and brought him back. And we had, you know, it took a few minutes, but oh my good. I mean, that feeling uh, of when he was lost was so devastating. But with a feeling when we saw him coming up the sidewalk, I'm telling you, uh, we got very, very emotional. We were very excited. We could not wait to run and hug that little guy. You know, we wanted to kind of pound him too, but we really wanted to hug him. And uh, it just reminds me of the prodigal son. You know, it says that the, the father, when he saw him a long way off, he went running to him. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God for the lost. And, I, and I, I grieve because I don't always feel that way, church. And I know we don't. I know you don't either. We just don't because we get so consumed with our life. We get so consumed with just getting through the day sometimes and getting, getting what we need that it's almost impossible for us to feel like we even have room to really have a heart for the lost. And we know we want it. And every time you hear somebody get saved, we're praise God, we're excited, hallelujah, we'll rejoice with them. But to actually make that a part of our life to say, I'm, I'm not okay with knowing this many people are lost and I'm not doing anything to help it. And, but when, when that love of the father comes in us and when we experience that love, it does something in us that causes us to be able to love others. And I would encourage you today, if, if you don't have a heart for the lost today, 
you're, you're in very, very good company, but I would ask God to help you break your heart for what breaks his. And he will do that. He will answer your prayer. He will break your heart and give you that heart for the loss that he wants you to have. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as the, the prayer team comes and the worship team, and we're gonna pray. I know it went a little long. I apologize. We had a, had a full second service today. We had a lot of great stuff happening. Babies dedicated, kids going into youth. It's a great day today. But just uh, bear with us for a few minutes as we pray. I uh, want to give people time to come to the altar and just, just talk to the Lord. If you want to spend time by yourself here at the altar, that's great. If you want somebody to pray for you, there's going to be people up here that will be happy to pray with you. Uh, there's nobody here that's better than anybody else. We're just here to, to lift each other up and, and be with each other and bless each other. So I encourage you um, as we sing a song, if you want to come pray, to, to come to the altar and just ask and talk to God. Um, I believe he wants you to have more peace, more freedom, and more love in your life. And I believe he will meet you when we come to this altar today. There's something about when we respond to him that he meets us and he does the work in our heart that we want him to do. So God bless you today as you pray.